Hey, what's up? Brian Rosillo podcast here, part of the Ringer Network. And as you know, today's episode of the Brian Rosillo podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by State Farm. Just like sports, the game of life is unpredictable. Talk to a State Farm agent and get a teammate who can help you navigate the unexpected. You know what's unexpected? Kyle, a pair of power block dumbbells showed up in my house. Oh, wow. You finally got something. I paid for them, so... You don't have to get all in your feelings. Well, I just, you said you couldn't get them anywhere. No, I ordered them and I thought, okay, like I saw plenty of places processing my credit card for stuff that hasn't been sent, mm. which I imagine will be sent eventually. But these were, because when I saw something on Amazon, I was like, oh man, oh, that's cool. I'll get them in April. Oh, March. Okay. Well, cool. Maybe I'll just work on my arms July 12th. <laughs> so not I'm not essential. complaining, trying not to complain about anything. But I was very, very happy because the power blocks rolled in from power block themselves. Uh, oh gosh, now I feel bad. I, this is not a power block read. I'm just telling you the brand because there's only like two brands that really do the adjustable dumbbells. It's not like you can even buy them now or right now anyway because they're all sold out. So there you go. So I got a teammate that could help. And you need to get a teammate who can help you navigate the unexpected. Talk to a State Farm agent today. So that's where I'm at right now. Excited about that part of it. And we'll, uh, we'll just keep building this little gym with no members over here. <laughs> at the house. Today's plan, we're going to have J.C. Treader of the Cleveland Browns. He is now the new NFLPA president, and they have a new CBA, so I want to go over that with him. We'll have a little fun with the fact that being an Ivy Leaguer in an NFL locker room probably isn't always the coolest thing, but it's great to be an Ivy Leaguer if you want to be president of the NFLPA, which he is now replacing Eric Winston, who's no longer in the league. We'll talk about the CBA and then, of course, uh, what they know Again, it's very limited information here, what we know about the future of what it could be. So I'll ask all those questions. I don't know what kind of answers we're going to get. But before we do that, this week's Open is about scandals and scandals in sports. And whenever we read the initial headlines, the final conclusion is usually always very underwhelming. Now, there's a bunch of different scandals that we can go through, and I'll get to those a little bit later. But the reason I bring this one up is because of HBO's new documentary called The Scheme that has to do with the FBI investigating pay-for-play scenarios with big-time college basketball programs. Now, at the center of this story is Christian Dawkins. Christian Dawkins is a kid who grows up in Saginaw, Michigan. His father's a legendary high school basketball coach. He wants to play basketball. It's not going to work out for him as he very bluntly puts it Draymond Green was an upperclassman and he was like oh wait maybe I'm not going to be great and I'm not going to play in the NBA but he's a smart kid and he put together these scouting report websites at a very young age and started shouting uh, actually charging people to get the information for the website so like he had this side business that he was doing on his own while he was going through school uh, we're not even talking college because he was like I don't really think I even need to go to college but he was making these connections and he was relating to kids that were going to be going through the hoops pipeline, whether it was AAU and then ultimately college, and then maybe even the rare cases of them selecting an agent. So he's now connected, okay? He becomes this connected guy, and this stuff happens. And as I've said numerous times on this show, that I am not an NCAA anarchist. I do not want it to be blown up. I do believe that the players can be compensated more, strictly the revenue-generating players, college football, college basketball. If you're telling me the women's tournament makes enough money so that the women's players could get paid a little bit more, I'm all for it. If you're telling me the college baseball world series brings in enough revenue that you can start paying some of the baseball players that are strictly in that tournament. I don't know. Look, depending on what side of the argument on, some of you will argue, oh, everybody deserves a half a million dollars. That's stupid. The other side of it where you say, oh, well, there's no way any of these players could be paid any money because the money generated by football and basketball pays for all of the other 
programs. And if you take money away from that, you're going to have to take away programs. Lax will be out. You got Title IX issues and all this different stuff. And I'm like, okay, maybe, maybe, maybe that's the case. Like I've looked at some of the stuff that's floated around. I'm like, oh, that looks pretty convincing. But why are teams, why are programs losing money? Well, I'll tell you a reason why is because they're paying coaches so much more now. Nebraska actually leads the country. I saw this number the other day. They're at almost like $20 million. They're still paying out to people that aren't working in the football program. Just the football program. Like that's crazy. Okay, so wait a minute. So who's accountable for that one? Well, the AD's already fired and the coach is already fired and we already got rid of two other coaches. So, you know, that's the way these contracts work. And the other part of this is every time we see a brand new football facility and all the bells and whistles, it's like, man, look how exciting that is. And we're like, yeah, it's really cool. But you know what else it is? It's another way to spend more and more money to continually upgrade your facilities that probably don't always need these upgrades so that you can find a way to spend all the money so you can make a justification for not paying any of the players. I think the players that generate money should be paid. I'm okay with that, but I also think when the NCAA decides to let players that declare for the NBA draft to go back to school if they're not drafted, which is a rule change they did, I think, two years ago when I was on Get Up, and the guys on Get Up looked at me like I was an idiot because I was like, hey, that's good. Good for the NCAA. That was smart. Good good for the players. Like That's a nice concession. But like, bah, how dare you? How dare you, sir? How can you sit there and say the NCAA did something actually good? What is wrong with you? I'm like, all right, whatever. Is that what we're doing? And I think that's actually what most people are doing. So that gets back to the documentary, The Scheme. Christian Dawkins ends up being hooked up with Andy Miller, who's a big-time NBA agent, and a guy like Christian Dawkins who has these relationships as a young black kid who is speaking the same language. It's somebody that um, generally most of the basketball players we're talking about here are young black kids, and they're going to connect with him instead of an older white guy. All of this makes sense. Uh, it would make sense to you if you were a young black kid. It would make sense to you if you're an old white banker who has only dealt with people that went to the same prep schools, colleges, and the same country clubs as you. Hey, I know this guy. He's speaking my language. Um, to me, this isn't necessarily even about prejudice. A lot of times, it's just comfort level with who you're comfortable with, okay? So that's just a belief that I have. And in this case, Dawkins becomes incredibly valuable. Like You can't put a number on what Christian Dawkins' value would be to Andy Miller's agency because he is at the grassroots level of this, knows everybody's deal. Okay, here's what that family's like. Here's the situation here. Here's a challenge here. Here's where I think this kid is leaning. And the unfortunate part of this this underworld that isn't really an underworld because anybody connected to sports, the amount of stories that I have, and I don't even know that they're all true, and I wouldn't really share really any of them other than in super vague terms. But you just go, hey, if you're a kid that has this ability that a bunch of people want, it's not necessarily the free market, but it is kind of the free market because somebody's going to be there willing to pay you some money. Um, it's not every single school that's out of control. Not every single player has a handler. Not every guy is getting a bag of cash, but it happens. And we know this. And the scheme, this documentary, tells us more how this all goes down. So Dawkins is working for Andy Miller. And the other part of this that's fascinating is the agent risk. Like if you want to get in the agent game, like I thought at some point when I was younger, because I wanted to work in sports, I wanted to be an agent. My God. You know, look, if you work for the big agency, you're never going to make as much because you're getting them clients and they're taking the commission. And maybe you make a nice salary, but you're never going to make that serious bleep you kind of money we all want. Maybe some of you don't. I do. Um, the other part of that is if you're a guy trying to break into it with your own agency, then you got to just start putting money out there all over the place. And you might be paying 10, 20 different players helping out the family a little bit here and there, you're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars of payments across all these different players because you're not necessarily doing anything wrong. You're just breaking an NCAA rule. Well, all of those players could decide, you know what? I'm out. I'm going to go sign with the big agent. You're just this new guy. Thanks for the cash and the hoodies, but I'm out and you can't really do anything about it. There's nothing really you can do. Now, some I've heard stories about agents trying to, you know, 
go at people legally and all these different things. But that's a massive risk because you're not really representing the kid as an agent because you can't do that because of the NCA, but you can be helping the whole way. So Dawkins is in this world. He admits to all of it, okay? And along comes this character named Marty Blazer, who was repping, uh, specifically in this case, Lamar Woodley and some other athletes, where he was taking money from them because he wanted to finance a movie. And the movie they reference in there is uh, Mafia, this movie that was a bomb. And so the SEC starts investigating Marty Blazer as this financial guy that's stealing from his clients. And Blazer's like, well, look, I can hook you up with this Christian Dawkins kid who had lost his job with Andy Miller over this Uber scandal. I'm not going to go through the entire timeline of this whole show because just watch the show. And so Christian wants to get his own agency going, and he needs money behind him. And so what happens is Blazer, to try to get himself out of jail, goes to the FBI, and it's like, I can, I can, and I'm being a little loose with all of this, so it doesn't be too much detail, but it's basically like, look, I, I can help you set up some of these big name coaches in this whole college basketball world. Like, here's what I know. So now the FBI is like, well, wait a minute. Nobody even knows who this Marty Blazer guy is. You know what we want? We want those big names because that's what happens in all of this stuff. That's what happens with the Southern District. This is what happens with lawyers that, that want to make a name for themselves. This is what happens with investigators that are like, how can I get some big name people out there to get some recognition? I mean, these guys have egos too. And we've all watched movies or read the books about the investigator that loved the headlines and loved the spotlight. And a lot of these guys want that. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but we're just understanding the motivation. So as soon as the FBI hears that, wait a minute, we can go after like a Rick Patino, we can go after a Sean Miller, we can go after all of these other coaches. Like, let's go ahead and do that. Like, this is going to be awesome. So how do we do it? Like, all right, what's we're going to do? We're going to have an FBI agent pose as a money guy. The money guy is going to give Christian Dawkins money. And then we're going to get Dawkins to bribe these coaches. Now, the funniest part of this whole thing is that Dawkins is telling the FBI undercover, who he thinks is just this rich guy named Jeff on a yacht that has a bunch of clubs and wears fancy watches. And again, he's an FBI guy. He's like, why do you want me to bribe? If I give a coach a certain amount of money, like it doesn't mean anything. Like that's stupid. And then Dawkins starts talking to the assistant coaches and he's like, yo, this Jeff guy wants me to give all this cash to these coaches. He's like, this guy's stupid. Like, and it's funny because Dawkins like doesn't hold back. He's like, this guy's a fucking idiot. So the, <laughs> the Dawkins angle on it. It's like, I'm just going to keep the money that the FBI is giving me, even though he's being wiretapped, even though he's being filmed and all these different things. So like the first thing that jumps out at you, you watch this, you'd be like, okay, let me get this straight. Like the FBI was more interested in setting up Christian Dawkins to set up these bigger coaches, even though Dawkins was giving money to players again, against the NCAA rules. I don't have, a, I'm not sitting here saying I have a ton of sympathy for Dawkins, but I have zero for Marty Blazer, who was like, no, this guy was actually stealing money, but the FBI didn't care about him because nobody knew who he was, so they were going big game hunting. And that's what happens. And that's kind of where I'm at with it, where every time there is this massive scandal and there are all these headlines, and let's go through this. Yahoo Sports, and I'm not knocking Yahoo at the time, but Yahoo, two years ago, along with ESPN, started talking about what was going to happen with the NCAA tournament. It was happening right as the tournament field was being announced. I'm going to read from this piece. Nearly half of the top programs in the nation this season could be named along with notable coaches and elite prospects. Um, an unnamed source in the Yahoo Sports report said, quote, when this all comes out, Hall of Fame coaches should be scared. Lottery picks won't be eligible to play, and almost half of the 16 teams that the NCAA showed in its initial NCAA tournament show this weekend should worry about their appearance being vacated. Here are the 16 teams the source refers to. Virginia, Villanova, Xavier, Purdue, Auburn, Kansas, Duke, Cincinnati, Clemson, Texas Tech, Michigan State, North Carolina, Tennessee, Arizona, Ohio State, Oklahoma. That doesn't even mention that Creighton's mentioned in the documentary. 
Um, Louisville isn't even on this list, and Louisville was hooked up with the whole Brian Bowen situation, who was a player that ended up getting paid. The, the father wanted money. Adidas and the Louisville connection and all these different deals with the sneaker part of it all connected. So I remember reading that going, oh my God. In the documentary, they show people reacting to this report saying this could be the biggest scandal in the history of sports. Not just college basketball, but the history of sports. And it just reminded me of all the other times I've heard that before. Remember Balco and Victor Conti and Barry Bonds and an IRS agent that just didn't like Bonds. And there's some backstory that like he didn't give him an autograph. And then he started diving through his dumpster and he put together this massive case that cost millions and millions of dollars. I was reading through it again. I read the book on it. And Victor Conti ended up in jail for four months. And Bonds ended up with a uh, obstruction of justice charge while his trainer did push-ups in jail. All of that for Victor Connie, who he said once he was in jail, when he got out, he was like, yeah, I talked to other inmates about how to use steroids. That's what I did. Remember the FIFA scandal? I went through that disaster last night. That went on forever. Wait a minute. The World Cup's in, in remember we all found out it wasn't Qatar, it was Qatar. That was huge news on the time. Like, wait a minute. The World Cup's in cutter and it's hot and now we've got to change the date of it and wait a minute it's going to be after russia but now russia isn't allowed to happen i mean fifa being crooked is the least surprising sports story of my lifetime a lot of people resigned people were fined i think i found one guy from portugal that actually went to jail do you remember in the late 90s when the u.s department of justice launched an investigation against the olympic committee with the salt lake city deal with the olympics being there okay the investigation had 15 counts of fraud, conspiracy, racketeering against bid leaders, and charges that were thrown out by the federal government midway through their trial in 2003, ending the case. That was supposed to rock the Olympic world. And then we realized, like, wait a minute, so what happens? Like, the Olympics are kind of decided based on bribes, just like FIFA? Like, wait a minute, how did the Olympics, honestly, some of the countries that host it, it's so stupid. It's like, okay, we're going to build all of this infrastructure and then it's all going to rot afterwards. We're going to spend all this money to pretend that we have our shit together financially as a nation and everybody's going to come here. We're going to wave. I mean, you want to talk about the shortest term SEC luncheon coach introduction where it's like, you won the press conference. Are you going to win any games? When I read about these aftermath things, and I am sympathetic about some things, but when I read this story and be like, oh my gosh, you know, the, the pools are rotting, the facade is falling down. What'd you think was going to happen? Did you think archery was just going to blow up and you were going to need all of these places to shoot arrows? No. So you've got the Olympic thing that led to after Salt Lake, zero charge, or excuse me, zero convictions. The case was thrown out. Connie, four months in jail. The FIFA thing, one guy that I could find, that could be wrong, but it's not the number you would think it would be. Um, the Mitchell Report, which I remember when it came out, I was sitting next to somebody on a television desk that said, this is the biggest day in the history of baseball. I'm like, or it isn't. I don't know what the biggest day of history for baseball was. I was thinking about it today. Is it Jackie Robinson? Is it Babe Ruth going to the Yankees? Is it Lou Gehrig's speech? Is it something bigger than that? Is it Hank Aaron's home run? Because it's not Bonds. But what is it? We know what it isn't. It isn't the Mitchell report where it's like, hey, a bunch of guys did steroids. We dragged Roger Clemens. We dragged some trainers. We had a weird conversation where Gagne was referred to as maybe a steroid guy. And after Bud Seeley got done reading it, he was like, okay, I'm going to take some action here. And the players finally actually gave in a more testing because the players who actually were taking the steroids to me are far more to blame than the owners who didn't install any device to prevent this ahead of time. 
So that kind of leads me back to the conclusion of this whole thing. It's really our fault in the media, right? Because we can't help ourselves. We cannot, no matter what we do, nobody can come on. No one would ever book me as a guest and be like, hey, do you want to talk about this college basketball scandal? Oh, what's your take? Yeah, probably underwhelming. Okay, could we book somebody else? I remember they used to screen me sometimes on stuff. They'd be like, hey, do you want to stop by Sports Center? You want to stop by First Take? You want to do this? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. What do you, okay, what do you got? Uh, and then I would just see the producer's eyes roll. Like, Can't you just come on and say it's going to be the biggest fucking disaster in the history of the world? Can't you just please say that? No, I can't because it never is. And that's my point. And it is our fault because I saw guys in this documentary going on saying this is going to be the biggest thing ever, like I said before, because nobody's going to say, ah, probably blow over. I don't know if he's going to do any real jail time. I guess that Bosch guy in the A-Rod thing, he went to jail for a little bit, but then his sentence was reduced. Look, Patino had his issues at Louisville. I don't believe Patino when it comes to anything. Patino could point to me and say, my name's Ryan, and I would be like, um, now I'm not sure. <laughs> so he was done. Christian got charges of up to 200 years. That didn't happen. You know, People lost their jobs, but it, my bigger point is it's not the end of college basketball. It's not ineligible teams in the tournament. It's not players ineligible for games. It's not lottery guys having their careers derailed. It's not the end of Sean Miller or, or anything that's going on at LSU. Like, it, it just isn't. It just isn't. It isn't the end. We love saying it's the end. We love saying it's going to be the most significant thing ever. And it, it almost never, ever is. And you just need to remind yourself the next time you hear about the biggest scandal in sports. All right, let's talk some football. Let's talk some CBA. During this time of social distancing, connecting with friends over a beer today looks pretty different. As the original light beer, Miller Lite has always been there to bring people together in real life through Miller Time. Miller Time is a moment for people to come together in real life to connect over a few beers, but having Miller Time is tough when you can't be with your people. Everyone is in the same boat. Our favorite local bars are temporarily closed, events have been canceled, and social distancing is in full effect. Although getting together with a few friends in real life currently isn't an option, Miller Lite can still be enjoyed with your people, just not in bars or at gatherings. Right now, having a Miller Lite with friends in real life isn't possible, but staying connected is still important. Uh, look, if you're stuck in the house with roommates, there you go. Maybe your significant other. Also, don't be afraid of an app. You know, a little Zoom couple kids backgrounds different backgrounds maybe a little house party app action i did it not afraid so anyway miller light the original light beer while you're home enjoy a classic available for delivery today celebrate responsibly miller brewing company milwaukee wisconsin 96 calories and 3.2 carbs per 12 ounces also reminding you that while we are all stuck inside right now, trying to keep calm and carry on while figuring out ways to stay healthy and connected. When we're stressed and don't sleep well, our immune systems weaken and become more prone to getting sick. And the best natural way to boost our immune system is through great sleep. And right now, it could not be more important to have a product like Whoop Fitness Tracker. Whoop is the best sleep monitor and fitness tracker out there. It's the gold standard for sleep tracking. It's been proven to improve sleep performance by helping members build better habits like recommending when you should go to bed and how much sleep you need based on what happened that day. Whether it's the new NFL CBA or NBA analytics and the salary cap, you know I love data. You guys know that. And Whoop collects data about your body 24-7. It gives you a better understanding about your well-being, along with personalized, actionable insights to optimize your performance. It accurately measures things like heart rate and variability, resting heart rate, sleep, recovery, and strain. Whoop even has a built-in strain coach feature that actually sets exertion goals so you can work out without losing out on your fitness goals during this self-quarantine. Make the best out of the situation. 
I'm honestly, I get, I'm getting one of these sent to me because we're reading the ads. I can't wait to check this thing out because I read through it. I looked at it. I go, you know what? I'm in the sleep tracking alone. Maybe I'll be horrified, but I'm ready. You know, I love data. It says it in the script. Optimize your sleep and performance with Whoop. Sleep better with personalized insights and strengthen your immune system. Train optimally and don't get out of shape while you're stuck at home. For my listeners, Whoop is offering 15% off of the code Rusillo, R-U-S-S-I-L-L-O at checkout. Go to Whoop, that's W-H-O-O-P.com and enter the code Rusillo, R-U-S-S-I-L-L-O at checkout to save 15%. Sleep better, recover faster, and train smarter. Optimize your performance with Whoop. I'm excited to do this. You guys know how much I I like doing these things. We did one with Demora Smith and Eric Winston before. Eric Winston was the president of the NFL Union, and the new president is J.C. Treader, part of the Cleveland Browns as well, and now uh, a vet, and now in in charge of this whole thing. So how does it feel to be president of the NFL Players Association? It's it's first an honor. Uh, It's, you know, uh, something you want to do to to give back and, and help. You know, the guys that you're, you're playing with now, the guys that came before you and the guys that are going to come after you and want to do everything you can, you know, kind of leave a legacy and, and do as much work to, to help promote, um, you know, the player side of this and get the benefits and, uh, and all the rules shaped as well as you can and just try to do that for the guys. So it's a huge honor um, and it's been a great experience so far. Now, what did you think of the deal? I mean, I know how much you spent on this. I'm going to go backwards here a little bit, but now that the deal is done, and I could, you know, I'm not going to go over it with you, but we've talked about it before on this podcast. But how do you feel about it now that it's done? Yeah, obviously, as a group, it was a, a close vote. We know that we, we've seen the numbers. It's you know a 60 vote margin, uh, and, and we knew going into it after having rep meeting that it was going to be a, a tight, tight vote. Both sides, you know, there were people who who loved it, people who didn't like it. Uh, both sides were extremely vocal, so we kind of understood we were what we were going into when the vote went out. Uh, and then kind of with the elections, that was the kind of understanding was we, we didn't know this wasn't a slam dunk either way. We didn't know whether it was going to pass, whether it was going to fail. Um, so through the elections, that was kind of part of the conversation is, you know, knowing that whoever the next leader is, has to be willing to step into both of those realities of going back to a renegotiation or trying to move us forward. So, uh, now of course, hindsight, we get it all figured out that it's, it's about moving forward and trying to, um, bring us all together. And it was going to be a bringing together whether the vote went yes or no, but now it's about trying to get everybody on the same page and understand the reasons guys were against the deal. Uh, you know, those critiques or those concerns don't fall on deaf ears. And, and there's still something, some things we can fight for, uh, some changes we can fight to make, uh, to make this deal continually get better. Um, but it's about kind of coming together and, and keep the, the passion and energy that guys were putting in that last kind of two months when this kind of all got ratcheted up, uh, continuing that interest and continuing that passion because that's how we're going to get something done by having everybody bought in, everybody uh, involved in the process. When I think about this, I always try to remind fans, remember, it's, it's 32 owners that are very much aligned um, as far as their upbringing, uh, where they're at financially, the long play, knowing that, hey, I'm, you're, if you own a team, you're going to win because the appreciation of value and the new TV deal that's coming. And that it's 2,000 plus voices with completely different backgrounds all over the map when it comes to what kind of earnings they're going to have throughout their entire career. How hard is it to try to get 2,000 plus people going in the same? Because as you said, it's like 60 votes and this could have gone the other way. I can't imagine how challenging that is to a lot of people that, you know, you're at the top of your field, but it doesn't mean you see the, 
the deal the same way and you don't see the future the same way. Yeah. I mean, that's what we set out a few years back was really focusing on the core players. And we felt like that was something we could really improve from the previous deal. And the core players are the minimum salary guys, the back of the roster guys um, that had not been passed by, but we felt their, their benefits, their salaries had kind of lagged behind in the previous deal. So that was something we kind of set out to make sure we fix. And obviously we've raised uh, minimum salary substantially in this deal, trying to reach back. Those, those guys make up 60 to 65% of the, of the voting block. So obviously, you know, that's, that's a group that you know, we targeted because we, we felt we needed to do better by them in this deal. Uh, and, and like you said it right there, there are so many different outlooks, not only where you fall financially, but where you fall in your career back end, just diving into your career, being a rookie and what you're looking for in a deal and what you think benefits you. Uh, there are a lot of different opinions. So trying to find something that uh, benefits everybody uh, and, and kind of provides safety and security for everybody is a difficult process, but that's kind of the process we have to try to figure out. The 17th game, what was the real sense that you got on what the divide was? 50, 50, 70, 30, 80. Because in the media, it felt like, oh, everybody's against the 17th game. What did you see as far as these players, the numbers, how many were actually opposed to the idea of a 17th game once they knew they were going to get paid for it? Yeah, it's, it's tough to tell because obviously, as in anything, you never know whether the vocal group is a vocal minority or you know, that's an accurate depiction of, of the voices in the room. Uh, so I think a lot of guys, again, I think for the most part, didn't come down to the 17th game. I think we understand the risks of playing football and the, the wear and tear on our bodies. Uh, and it wasn't about what well, we've added, you know, one more game that a potential game for the playoffs. It was, you know, how, how do we try to limit the amount of exposure to risk that we have? And I think that was a lot of guys, um, interest or, or worry is, you know, are we opening ourselves up to more exposure, more risk? Uh, and a lot of that came with trying to find ways to, um, decrease the load in training camp. And now we've limited padded practices, uh, substantially in training camp. We've added a five-day acclimation period in training camp, trying to find ways to decrease that risk on the on the front end of the season um, with this addition of the 17th game. So I, I think it was in everybody's mind. In the end, it came down to um, is what's being put out there as the other side of the deal worth it to you to play that additional game? Uh, and for the majority, the answer answer was yes. But I think everybody had to weigh it, understanding. Um, what the risk of playing more football brings, uh, even in the short term, term as well as the long term. How varied was the science on your research? And I'm not saying like the research that you conducted yourself, but like the people in medicine that the players trust, which I know mm -hmm. is tough to find. <laughs> but yeah. how was it? Was it definitive? Was it all over the place? Like what kind of conclusions did you feel comfortable with about the science and dangers of a 17th game? Yeah, again, I think it, it comes down to the, the, the more football and, and trying to decrease those um, you know, impactful hits. And you're going to see those a lot more in two parts of your season, one during games and the other one during training. Uh, during the season practices, you're rarely seeing those high-impact hits um, that can cause significant damage um, through different parts of your body. So with the addition of the game, it was about, okay, well, if we're going to add the uh, impact hits in that game and these games in the back end of the season, then we have to find the other part of the schedule uh, 
and protect us from significant hits then. So that was kind of the trade-off was, okay, well, in training camps, the only time that we're going to see significant damage to our bodies when it comes to impact hits. So let's try to limit the time we're in pads. That way we take those out of the equation, uh, limit the amount of time on the field during practice. We've cut down a half hour of what we uh, used to be able to be on the field. Um, so looking at it that way of, okay, well, we're going to try to even this out of the risk and how we're going to be playing the game of football. So what did happen then with the delay? Because once again, those of us on the outside, it's like, well, wait a minute, the executive committee is voting on this and now they voted against this proposal and now there's a delay for 48 hours. And now can you go back and help us further understand what that timeline was? Because I imagine that had to be incredibly stressful for you, but now it seems like the executive committee that's the players are telling its entire you know, constituency to actually vote against the deal you agreed to. Yeah, so I, I wasn't a part of the EC or the president at the time that all that that went down. So as a, a rep at the time, um, you're just one of 32 team reps, right? At that point, right. prior to officially yeah. becoming president, right? Yeah. So I, I became president at the back half of the voting uh, once the voting opened. Uh, so for for me, it came down to uh, a vote that all the reps had to make, uh, and that passed it down to the players, and that needed to become from a, a simple majority. And that ended up, again, similar to the voting from the players, was very tight. Ended up, I think, 17-14, one uh, abstain. And again, was very close where one or two votes then flips it and the players would have never seen the, the offer, would never have voted on the offer. Um, so that, that was kind of how the rules of the voting went, where the EC either votes yes or no, but it comes down to the reps, whether they pass it on to the players or not. And, and the reps voted to pass it on to the players and let the players make the final decision whether they liked it or whether they wanted us to go to renegotiation. And then when we extended the two days, uh, we just felt we wanted, there's a lot of guys who said, I just need more time to read through this document and feel comfortable with my vote. Um, so we decided to give them uh, an extra two days to give them that time to try to read through uh, the document and, and feel comfortable. And that was the main thing. That was our main focus was how do we educate the guys to understand what's in this deal and give them enough time to make an educated vote. And that was what a lot of reps were preaching was, you know, we're not going to tell you to vote yes, we're not going to tell you to vote no, but just make an educated vote and, and understand the positives, the negatives, and the impact it's going to have, and then make your vote that you feel confident in. And when guys said, I need a little more time, we thought that was best to give them that. Yeah, talking to a couple of different people about it, like I don't think people understand how how I don't know if high school is the best analogy here, but you know, you're the player rep, you have to be informed for your team, but then you can go back to your locker room and some of the younger guys that are really impressionable, like I imagine you were impressionable as you like we all are at the beginning of our careers and anything we're doing, and then older guys are kind of like saying, "Hey, this is how you should vote. This is how you should vote." And then it it kind of gets carried away because you don't want to be the younger guy telling the older guy, hey, I disagree with you. And, and it's up to you to do all that work. But there's a very um, basic kind of human nature pattern of this thing of, of how complicated it is to make sure that everybody's voting with their own best interests instead of maybe voting the way the cool guy on the team wants you to vote. Yeah. And that's right? kind of the way even football at itself works, where you come into the locker room and you you kind of go, I've got to do what this older guy who I look up to does to try to make it in this league. So you, even from the get go, Justin, when it comes to your football career, you're thinking, you know, I, I need to emulate what this guy does and do what he does to try to make it as long as he has. Uh, and then you forget that he's in kind of a different part of his career than you are. And when you're looking at a CBA and an agreement that determines our work rules, our pay, our benefits, 
you kind of have to look out for your own and make your own best decision and not rely on somebody who's not exactly looking through the same lens as you are. Uh, and that's kind of the balance. And that's why we, uh, we try to get as much information to the players individually. We, we, we held a phone call um, that everybody could get on to, again, answer any questions people had. And, and you're just trying to make sure everybody's educated and, and making sure they understand everything that's in the deal uh, before they cast their ballot. By the way, when you're running for president, and I know there was a couple other players that are up for it, do you have to make a speech? Do you have to say like, hey, I know offensive linemen aren't the coolest. I know I didn't. <laughs> I know I'm not SEC guy and I went to Cornell, but like, you know, is, is it just like election where you have to get up there and, and make these speeches? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a significant process. So everybody gave a five to 10 minute speech in front of the group. And then we break out into um, about, I think, six separate rooms with about uh, five or six teams in each room. And you do a 20 minute Q&A with each of those rooms. So you're you're going there and everybody can ask you questions about What's your stance on this part of the CBA? What's your plan if this goes good? What's your plan if this goes bad? And they can, um, they can just ask you whatever you want. And, and you just go through each room and make sure everybody understands kind of where you stand on each issue. And then that's when you come back as a group and make your vote. So it's a, it's a, full, it's a full election. Did you? It's all right. So it, I didn't mean to get sidetracked by this, but I am kind of like, did you rehearse it in front of anybody? Did you, did you call a parent? Did you? I mean, is there a... Are we talking about a significant other that you had to go over? Like, what was your theme of your your trying to be the president of the NFLPA? So the Q and A, you you don't really know what's coming at you, so you can't really prepare for that. You just kind of have to go off kind of what you understand and what your knowledge is and answer people's questions. Uh, the speech, I definitely prepared. Uh, definitely was up late into the early hours of the morning, uh, writing the speech out and, and trying to kind of put your best foot forward and, and try to, you know, sell yourself on why you'd be best for, for the job and uh, made sure to read it uh, a few times to uh, my wife and make sure it sounded right. Um, but <laughs> did she give you any re- feedback? Did she say like, no, leave that part out or, you know, uh, talk about your hobbies more? I, I mean, <laughs> yeah, she was, she was very helpful. She was very helpful and uh, she's a, a tough grader. So uh, she, she, uh, made sure not to uh, patronize me at all or tell me I'm doing well if I'm not. She uh, made sure to give me the, uh, the straightforward truth. Um, but no, it was a, a really unique uh, kind of program of, of going through the election process. Uh, and it was, I feel like everybody felt like they could make an informed vote for that. They, they felt like they had enough time to talk to each candidate and figure out you know, who they wanted to vote for. Is that the first time you think Cornell's helped you in the NFL? <laughs> I, I think so. I, I, it definitely, that was one of those things where you want to bring it up, but also you don't want to be like a classic <laughs> Ivy League guy, uh, where it's like this guy just throws around the Ivy League uh, diploma all the time. Uh, so that was kind of a unique balance of like making sure it was known, but not being the, uh, the annoying, <laughs> pretentious guy. So you try not to do like an Andy Bernard. Right. Yeah. Where you were yeah. like, uh, ever heard of it? It's in the right. league. Yeah. Um, I made sure not to wear like khaki pants with us, uh, uh, boats on them or anything like that. Ma- made sure to try to, uh, blend in. That's smart. Cause I, you know, I always try to not that it, it sucked at ESPN cause I, I went to Vermont. And so everybody that were making all these, these bets on football stuff. Like we didn't even have a football team and, you know, had a nice little basketball run shout out to uh, the UVM catamounts. But when you're in an NFL locker room and it's, it's getting ready for those big Saturday games, 
Right. Like it's just, I imagine you don't have a lot of guys that you can bet with. It's just, it's, you probably feel a little left out when you're an Ivy leaguer, maybe a yeah. random guy every now and then, but you know. Yeah. You, you get, you get your well, once in a while, you get another Ivy league guy to, to kind of filter into your locker room. And uh, I honestly think people, when people hear us talk about the Ivy league, it's almost like we're from another planet where it's just like, <laughs> what, like, what do you mean? Like, there's 2000 people at your game. What, what did you, did you never play college? Like, would you just stay in high school? It's like, no, you guys don't understand. Like it's, it's not the sec. Like there's no, you know, when I remember when I first got to green Bay and we started talking about crowd noise, it was like, I've never played in crowd noise before. <laughs> like there, was, there was never a silent count in the Ivy league. You could hear everything going on. There, there was no risk that I couldn't hear the snap count uh, in the, in those stadiums. That's amazing. I never really thought about that. So like maybe the next Ivy league quarterback prospect, you know, it could be a while, but the next time it comes along, it would just be, I would love to be on a radio show the next day going, well, you know, I don't know if I trust this guy on a Sunday, you know, on a third down <laughs> in, in, inside Atlanta's dome. That's, that's good. All right. So here's, here's another thing that I, I find kind of, you know, you had said it earlier is it, what's real, like what's, what's the actual majority of players, what's the vocal minority, because you'll have, you know, Russell Kuhn, who obviously had a major problem with this entire process and filed the labor board deal against it. He had Eric Reed who was like, we need a recount. And Eric Reed seems to want to fight with a lot of different stuff. And then you've got Pouncey doing his drive-by video in his, in his Jeep, losing his mind. And then Aaron Rodgers, who apparently just doesn't want to practice. He's like, I would like six months off if I could we consume that not only in media as fans are going, wow, I guess this deal is terrible. And I guess like how much of it is balancing, Hey, what's good for the group versus your individual concerns. And I imagine JC, that's going to be like, I know these are your players and all, all that kind of stuff and it's a brotherhood, but I have to imagine that becomes incredibly frustrating when you see this stuff pop up and then you guys talk about it later. Yeah, honestly, I think, there's a balance uh, and there was a lot of passionate debate and debate's not a bad thing. Division's a bad thing <laughs> to you. And, and I, I think we were, we were fine with guys voicing their opinions and being very vocal about where they stand. Um, Cause it's the best way probably for guys to understand everything that's in the CBA for to hear multiple perspectives. Uh, what we don't want is a division within the union uh, and that's something that as we come together now and, and continue to fight uh, for what guys are asking for, you know, you hope we, we mend the fences that, that have kind of broken down. Um, but, but that's really the thing. I, I'm, I'm all for guys voicing their opinions on, on what they agree and what they disagree with. Uh, and then, like I said, if that, don't let that passion uh, get extinguished now that the deal's done because we, we can still fight for things and we can still fight for changes. Uh, even within a CBA's terms. So uh, if you're still passionate about those issues and you're still interested in those issues, um, don't kind of fall back into the distance. You know, stay, stay vocal uh, and stay interested and stay involved because that's the only way we're going to get things done is if we stand together you know, 2,500 players strong and fight for things. That was a really good answer. Now I know why you're president. Um, <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was tactful. We got more from JC, uh, including the plan, if there is any plan, for the rest of the football calendar. But today's podcast is sponsored by ADT Commercial for Business. ADT Commercial serves businesses ranging from mid-sized organizations to large-scale enterprises. Think of them as a special team who has one focus, your business security, that provide a comprehensive line of security 
fire, life safety, and risk management solutions, professional-grade systems for commercial-grade businesses with ADT Commercial. Every day is game day. Fortune 1000 companies rely on ADT Commercial for highly complex, scalable, integrated solutions that help solve their unique business challenges. And if you're looking for a partner to upgrade or to take over the monitoring and service of your current system, ADT Commercial can help to painlessly install and maintain large-scale multi-site businesses. They make it easy to switch providers. Their onboarding is predictable, dependable, and painless. Schedule a no-obligation security review with ADT Commercial for Business. No pain, that's good in sports and good in business security. Visit ADT.com forward slash game day to learn more. That's ADT.com forward slash game day. 600 players didn't vote. I think that was the number. What what happened? You know, I don't, I don't know. It's, you know, there, there's part of it. You, you want in 100% uh, return on the ballots. Um, but you look at it that I think that's more of a, a cultural issue. I think we see that in any election. Um, people don't vote. It's younger and guys. Not, you don't know. Guys we don't, so we don't see, we don't see who voted or get the, the numbers on any of, you know, who was the yeses, who were the noes. That was a third party who collected the votes, uh, verified them and sent us the results. So we can't even look back and see, well, okay, who, who did we miss out on? Who did we not touch? Um, and that's the thing. I, I don't think it's an NFL PA issue. Uh, I think we see this uh, in the presidential elections. You know, there there is a segment of the population that doesn't vote, and, and you hope, you know, especially in this, but that you know these are going to be the rules you play under the the benefit structure, the pay structure. You'd hope people would be um, interested in making sure that their voice was heard. Um, but some guys didn't. And, um, you know, that's something we, we're always going to continue to fight for, try to get um, systems in place to get a 100% re- return on the ballots. Um, but I think that's more of a kind of a cultural thing and a nationwide thing than an NFLPA issue. So just basically the, the voting body representing kind of what we have as far as voting habits for everybody in a presidential election. Yeah. Um, you had mentioned... You know, the bump, which I think is great for the minimum players, is going to be over 500000 at the start of the new CBA. By the end of it, it'll be about a million dollars on the minimum, if I have those numbers right. And I had said on a podcast after the deal came out, I go, you know, there's a lot of things in here that I think you would like for the players, which means that's how bad the owners wanted the extra playoff game and how badly they wanted that 17th game. It's like, hey, some of the other stuff that you guys are worried about, we're going to concede on it. Now, the other argument could be, hey, these things shouldn't be concessions these are things that should have happened before whether it's the punishment and the way that's ruled on and uh some of the testing for marijuana and all, all those different stuff that seemed to be going in the player's direction and a lot of this stuff becomes philosophical i had said you know the best way to try to get a a group to vote for you is to appease to the numbers and as you mentioned the minimum numbers cover like 60 to 65 percent of the players i was like i think that strategically was right by the owners and a player did reach out to me and said no that's actually something the players union wanted more and the owners agreed so did you think so i'm asking you admitting that maybe i made a mistake on that was it something the owners are more agreeable to because they know they'd get more votes for that was it they were doing or was that just part of a uh, i guess a proposal by your side that they then agreed to that became part of the final print uh, i i can't speak to 100 percent what, what the owners were thinking i'm sure um it was definitely a priority of ours. So that was something we went into it and we've been talking about it for years at meetings about how do we go about helping our minimum salary players. Uh, so that, that was a, a huge priority of ours. You know, maybe, you know, they're interested in that for multiple reasons. Uh, but I think they were also interested in trying to help out the minimum salary players too. I think that was something they were agreeable to. And then it was about finding out, you know, how do we, how do we do this? Um, 
but it, it was one of our priorities. It was something that we set out to do. Uh, and I don't think it makes it any less of a win or any less of a benefit. Uh, either way, that was something that, that we wanted and, and we got. Yeah. And, and I really do think that's, that's a big deal. But then again, it becomes part of this thing. If I'm a guy that's all pro, if I'm making a lot of money, I mean, it's the same thing that happens in the NBA with the max salaries where it's like, look, I get that there's 450 players playing in the NBA, but there's 10 of us that really matter. And we want to make sure we get paid and more than 10 get paid. So that's always something like we talked about that's kind of hard, especially when that number is over 2,000. All right. So the scary thing through all of this, uh, with everything that the country's facing, that the world is facing here with the coronavirus, if this vote swings the other way by 30-something votes, you could be sitting here without a deal. Have you let yourself even think about what that would be like now facing a new challenge here with the uncertainty of when you're even coming back to play, what's going to happen with compensation, knowing that you were that close to not having a new deal? Yeah, it's one of those things. Usually hindsight comes about like six years down the road and, and hindsight came about four days down the road after kind of the vote went. You kind of kind of see what how the world looks so different, just the, you know economically, um, just kind of being in a state where we don't know what's going to happen a week from now or, or what's going to kind of how the situation is going to break. Um, so it's definitely something that you look back and think, you know, this, there are a lot of different lenses to kind of look at this deal, but maybe the lens of we're locked into a deal that our guys felt or a majority of our guys felt was a good deal as is. And now we have the safety and security of being locked in and really, um, you know, tough economic times as well as a lot of uncertainty uh that's another lens to look through it and kind of think maybe you know maybe it even looks better to the guys uh who were against it now looking at how things could have shaken out uh if the vote went the other way so it's it's a unique situation because there, there's so much going on um but it's definitely a, a lens you have to look at the new cba through yeah because it would be i think it'd be real uncertainty scary right <laughs> um eventually yeah. you would get a new deal you would figure it out you know, with a new TV deal coming, whatever your cut is now, you know, below 50%, which isn't, I know what you guys want, but um, that cut, the, the, everybody's going to get a nice hit. But now with this loss of revenue, what are they telling you about the plan? Because there's a lot of different things you can talk about, like the start date. So let me just do that. Do you want to play week one if the NFL saying, Hey, we're good to go, but it's going to be an empty stadium. It's going to be, well, I don't want to make an Ivy League joke here because it's a serious, but uh, <laughs> what, what do you personally want to do as far as, you know, getting through this, knowing that we always kind of have to preface everything with, look, the safety and people's health and all those things. Like, we get those things. You're smart enough to, all of us understand those things. But like, what do you want to do as a football player? Like, what would you be willing to do to get out there for week one? Yeah, again, I, I think you got you got to always lead with it, and it comes down to what's the safest thing for the players and the fans and, and everybody, including the staff. Um, you know, football is a, a giant operation; a lot of people involved. Uh, right now, we know the risks of a lot of people getting together in a tight space, um, so it, it's really tough to kind of dive into that far in advance of, of what it's going to look like. I mean, you you go back whatever it is, three, four weeks from now, we thought we'd be, you know, right at the talent of March Madness going into the Masters and this would be a totally different world we're living in. Sports have changed. Um, so it's kind of tough. That it changes every two weeks and we get new information and that's something we, we meet and have phone calls constantly with our medical director, um, getting the most up-to-date information on what's going on with this virus across the country, across the world. Uh, and it's going to come down to kind of consistently making the right small decisions. 
uh, that move us in a path forward. And, and you can't get stuck at looking at all the variables that could lead you um, to a position in September. Uh, you kind of have to take each two-week segment making the right decisions to keep everybody safe, uh, not just NFL players and NFL staffs, but the population in general. We all need to be doing our part of trying to get this under control. And no one's kind of immune to the issues that can come from this. And, and we can't think that we're above uh, the general population when it comes to making sure we're doing everything we can um, to, to bring this all under control. So say they say, hey, it's safe, it's cleared, but it's going to be without fans because we want to save the TV revenue. Would you be for that? I think we have to look into it. I, I, we haven't even gotten that far to kind of dive into all the scenarios of what it would right. look like. We're right now focused on the offseason, trying to figure out how we're best to handle that. Um, we, we haven't really gotten that deep down the calendar just because we don't, we don't know what it's going to look like. We don't know what um, the outlook of this, this virus is going to look like two weeks from now. Um, so we've really been trying to focus on staying um, in really tight two-week windows before we dive into what it would look like in, in September or even August at this point. Um, we're trying to make, make sure we make the best decisions for the guys, uh, make sure we keep them safe. Look at that. Look how smart already weeks on the job and you won't give me the quote that says NFL <laughs> president says I'm ready to go. Let's <laughs> uh, <laughs> All right. Well, uh, let me, uh, let me let you go with, with just a couple more things though. Had, has there been any, cause I know, I think I know what you've been told from, you know, you're right. Like a lot of this, you can, you can be anti the owners. They could be whatever. Like everybody. I mean, I'm doing a hit in Chicago for an NBA thing a little bit later. I know they're going to ask me like, what are you hearing? It's like, you're asking me to answer a question. I don't, I can't tell you. Like, it'd be like asking somebody the ending of a movie they'd never seen before. We can guess, but we don't know. But is there any preliminary discussion that gives you any sense of, you know, revenue, what's going to happen there because it would it would be you know here you are granted the new deal is to start right away but i know that it's going to get weird because it's all connected where if there's no tv money and there's no stadium money then the players are going to feel that just like the owners are yeah i think uh the best way to explain it is uh, when people say you know oh i don't know i'm not sure people automatically think like oh they're they're hiding something like they know yeah. and and the best way to kind of describe it is there's there's really no way to tell uh, and that's kind of the best way to lay it out for somebody is this is ever changing and there's so many variables in it. There is no way to tell kind of how this all shakes out months in advance. And you really have to stay dialed into the moment in these, these short windows um, because we don't have the information. We don't have a crystal ball of what things are going to look like. Uh, and there's so many things and variables um, that can impact decisions that there's really just no reason um, to try to guess or put out preliminary plans that you just don't know how much time you're wasting with these when we could be looking at a totally different world um, weeks from now than we are now. So uh, I think that's kind of been the best way to explain it is there's just really, truly no way to tell, um, you know, that far in advance. No, you're right. You're right. I mean, that really is the best answer. I just wanted to make sure that it, there wasn't something that I wasn't asking. I'll leave you on this. Is there some relief, though, knowing that we're not talking about the Browns every day on talk shows all offseason because we, we just, we're just we just not as locked in in the Browns roster as we were maybe a year ago? Yeah, no, it was uh, obviously a different, different life we're living now. But uh, last year, it was the, the top of the town. I think we're just looking forward to it as a team, just, just coming back and working. We're, we're excited about um, what Coach Stefanski and, and Andrew Berry are going to do together and, and kind of their outlook. Um, but it's nice. Uh, I think we, we've been talking about it and, uh, 
I think one of the selling points for, for me at least with the 17th game uh, is now there's a chance a team goes 0-17 and, and no longer I'm not part of the, the worst record of all time. So they, we're looking through kind of the glass half full here. Um, but I've opened myself up now to potentially not have the worst record uh, under my belt with this new schedule. So That's good. I like that you still have a small streak of selfishness in there. Even as a leader, <laughs> you're, you're smart enough to know how to protect yourself. I'm just, would, you know, I know Baker's young, but would he maybe a few years from now make a good NFLPA president? Uh, Baker is kind of a, a, a leader of, of people. I think uh, he has... He has greatly improved um, when it comes to demeanor and, and saying uh, this offseason he's done awesome. Um, hey, by but, the way, that's not a cheap shot at Baker. I had dinner with him at the Super Bowl. And, uh, I'm just saying, like, I could see Baker looking at 2,000 guys, Jimmy Hoffa style, being like, we're getting 70%. Let's go. You know, and everybody be fired up. Baker. That's the thing about Baker is from the day he walked in that locker room, I mean, he is like a magnet where people just – flock to him. I mean, he is truly a leader um, and just has that personality that guys want to be around him. Guys want to mix it up with him uh, and, and try to get under his skin and he gets under their skin. And, and that's just his personality all the time. Uh, and, and he truly is, you know, the leader of our team uh, and he keeps us all going. And uh, he's the same guy, whether it's coming off, you know, a Tuesday off and you're walking in early morning on a Wednesday or it's two-minute drive to win the game on Sunday. He is the same guy, the same personality, the same mentality all the time. And, and that's one thing football players love. Football players love consistency. So, uh, you know, we don't, we don't mind uh, whatever, uh, whatever it looks like as long as it's consistent. Uh, and, and he truly is consistent. JC, congrats on the new deal. Congrats on the position. And uh, like a lot of football fans, we can't wait to see you out there when we get settled and through all this. So stay safe, all right? Absolutely. Appreciate it. Right back at you. Okay, I hope you enjoyed today. Please subscribe, rate, review. We'll keep pumping these things out. And I got to do a mailbag thing. I, I have to. I've talked about this. I have to come up with an email. I'll give Kyle access to it as well. Well, we'll just start doing some mailbag stuff, which I think someone has done before. So if somebody wants to get mad at me about stealing that idea that's been in a million times, well, that wouldn't be the first time I've heard that this week, <laughs> would it? Seriously, man. All right. Um, we'll talk to you Thursday. <laughs>